We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is good, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, whether you're listening to this in audio podcast form, wherever that finds you, whether you're checking us out on the video side on YouTube, appreciate you all very, very much. So thank you. Uh, Today is Wednesday, which means I'm doing the weekly, and this has become a weekly thing here on Talking Buffalo, going solo uh, for this show, and I'm doing a Bill's. Um, all 22 coaches film and PFF great analysis for week four. Of course, the Buffalo Bills just absolutely dismantled the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. And I'm going to kind of reiterate what I've said the last couple weeks when doing these type of, of film breakdown episodes or uh, PFF great um, analyst episodes. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend to you like I have some extensive knowledge when even after watching a film of concepts and schemes and zone blitzing and all that type of stuff, analytically that the guys like Eric Turner from cover one or Anthony Brohaska from cover one, Joe Marino from lockdown bills, et cetera. Those guys just have a much bigger and broader knowledge when they're watching film and being able to present it to you than I ever could. So I'm not going to try to go that route. That's not what I do on this show. Basically what I do is I watch the All-22 film over, sometimes over again, and then I go into PFF, their premium stats, and I look at their grades and their breakdowns and their um, advanced stats numbers, and I kind of use that to help either like strengthen or maybe loosen opinions that I originally had after watching the game with my own eyes. So that's what I do with this episode when I'm going to present to you today. Won't be terribly long. At least I certainly hope uh, that it won't be. This is available on audio and video, and I'm going to be quite honest with you. (laughs) There's a part of me that wishes these episodes were only on the audio side, and the only reason why I say that is because I got sheets, multiple sheets filled with uh, notes and and stats from PFF 
and things like that that I couldn't possibly begin to memorize. So my eyes constantly on the video side and this bothers me, but nothing I can do about it. I'm constantly looking down here at my notes so I can remember uh, some of these numbers. But anyway, like I said, audio, video, and kind of uh, the same format. I got three big takeaways from the game on Sunday. Then I'll kind of run through the positions, throw out some notes that I have, some PFF grades and, you know, where they stand maybe compared to around the rest of the league. I said this the last couple of weeks. I'll say it again. When it comes to PFF and their grading system, I trust it for the most part. I know these are very knowledgeable people. They do this for a living, so they're not idiots. That said, sometimes we simply, certainly I know that I don't understand some of the grading, the system, how it works, and some of the grades that they come up with because it seems week after week, there's some grades that will suggest that, hey, this player played amazing or hey this player really sucked but also there's some players that you're like man this guy looks great on sunday and then you look at the pff grade and you're like huh why is he graded so shitty and vice versa some guys i'm thinking like well you know they played a freaking terrible game and then i look at their grades and they're they're way up there better than they seems like they should be so anyway i'll kind of point those out a little bit here and there as i get to them but yeah this is my notes and my thoughts after watching the coach's film and after uh, breaking down and digesting a lot of the PFF grades from this game, let's start with my three biggest takeaways. Uh, point one, kudos. And we've talked about this a little bit on the show already throughout the week, and it's worth reiterating here again. Kudos to both Sean McDermott and Ken Dorsey. Just an absolutely outstanding game when it comes to coaching. It just felt like the Bills presented so many matchup problems on both sides of the ball to the Miami Dolphins. From a coaching perspective, you know, I got to give a shout out to, I believe it was Nate Gary from the WGR. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact tweet, but I remember him throwing something out and saying something to the effect of, if you're an aspiring head coach and you're going to a, a coaching clinic to learn how to coach, this game is the tape that they're going to put in. I thought it was one of maybe the best coached Bills uh, performances games that I've seen in quite a long time on both sides of the ball. Let me start with Sean McDermott. So many different looks to Tua, and it was obvious. You don't, again, you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be an analytical dude. You don't need to be able to break down little nuances of film to watch the game and know that the Bills' defense at times was confusing uh, Tua. And I wanted to point out a stat. Joe Marino put this out on Twitter. It's from Fantasy Points, a, a Twitter handler. His first reads, Tua's first reads through the first three weeks for Miami, he was throwing to his first read 80.2% of the time. Against Buffalo, just 57.1%. That means the Bills were confusing him. They weren't letting him go to the receiver that he wanted to go to more times than not. He was holding the ball far normal than usual, and it led to mistakes. It led to forced passes, led to a couple turnovers, led to forced sacks. It was just a coaching defensively, play calling wise. I'm not even talking about the head coach. I'm talking about the Sean McDermott, the defensive coordinator. To me, it was as good as I've seen um, from him. So impressed. You know, this is such a league 
week to week and things change so quick in sports and especially in football. You know, if I would have told you six months ago, if you had a chance to fire Sean McDermott and make Brian Dable your head coach, would you do it? I'd be willing to bet money that a majority, I don't know how much of a majority, but a majority of Bills fans would have signed up for that. And now you look four weeks into the season and the Giants are just a fucking disaster. And Sean McDermott has rebounded this team beautifully from an opening night loss, a debacle offensively anyway, uh, against the Jets. So anyway, I think Sean McDermott was outstanding schematically and matchup wise against the Dolphins and ditto for Ken Dorsey. It's just the Bills have done such an effective job these last three weeks of mixing things up. Running the football, not necessarily more than they have over the last few years, but certainly more effectively blocking schemes with the offensive line, play calls, the receivers getting lots of people the ball, using the tight ends, not so much downfield in a big way yet, but still using them, drawing up plays. That first touchdown that was schemed to Gabe Davis, that was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, man. I mean, at the end of the day, both sides of the ball, and this goes for all coaches and on all teams at all sports. Your players got to execute. But I feel like right now, the coaches are putting Buffalo in a position to succeed. And in terms of Dorsey, I'll tell you what, this even goes back to the Jets game. It's easy to throw shade at Ken Dorsey and say he sucked and blah, blah, blah. And that's why the Bills lost to the Jets and couldn't do shit on offense. Nah. Other than that second and 15 running play in overtime, which I'm still pissed about thinking about it to this day, I thought that Ken Dorsey did a really good job in that game. It was just the players did not execute. So anyway, that's my first takeover or uh, big takeaway. Great coaching from the Bills. Secondly, um, the offensive line. Again, they took big-name defensive linemen, in this case, multiple defensive linemen, and made them, I don't want to say completely absent, but made them irrelevant. Christian Wilkins, Bradley Chubb, two of the best well-known defensive line players in the NFL. And in Wilkins' case, certainly I think among defensive tackles, one of the best. What did they do in this game? Not much. Not much at all. And it kind of, you know, at the beginning I talked about this emphasizes my love-hate relationship when it comes to PFF and grading. Bill's kind of individually, and I'll get more into this in a minute here, kind of crappy grades for the offensive line, and I just don't get it. I just don't get it. The offensive line did a great job against Miami. And again, they made Christian Wilkins and Bradley Chubb pretty much irrelevant, just like they made Chase Young irrelevant last week, just like they made Max Crosby irrelevant a couple weeks ago. So this offensive line is really rounding into form. And of course, that's great news uh, for the Bills. And then my third takeaway, I think the Bills might have the best defensive line in the NFL right now. I know there's a lot of people who will point to the Philadelphia Eagles. Sure, I get it. That defensive line is great. Washington, despite the Bills exposing them a couple weeks ago, they still have a really good front four. But when it comes to depth, I find it hard to believe that there's a team in the NFL right now that is deeper at defensive line than the Buffalo Bills. They've been... Unbelievable. And it's not just one or two guys, man. It's everybody. The Bills go eight deep. Hell, the Bills go nine deep at defensive line. And these guys are making plays. He didn't end up with a sack, but Kingsley Jonathan had a nice pressure 
on Tua on Sunday. He's your fifth defensive end. Nine deep. And here's the craziest part. Poda Ford didn't even dress. They're 10 deep. Actually, take that back. Their best defensive lineman, Vaughn Miller, hasn't even played yet. It is absurd how deep this defensive line for the Buffalo Bills is right now. And they are playing really, really good. So those are my three biggest takeaways based on this game and kind of, for the most part, this season. Great coaching, great offensive line play, and even better defensive line play. That's coaching in your trenches. To me, that's a formula that just doesn't look good in week four. That's a way that you're going to win games in December and in January and even February when you're playing good in the trenches. And that's something, quite frankly, that I think the Bills have been really spotty. Even as good as this team's been over the last couple of years, it's been wishy-washy when it comes to offensive and defensive line plays, but not this year, not so far, and especially not against uh, Miami. I thought they were great. Quarterback Josh Allen, 21-25, to 25, 320 yards, four touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. Dude threw more touchdowns or accounted for more touchdowns than he had incomplete passes. Only four incomplete passes. And one of them, and in fairness to Khalil Shakir, wasn't an easy catch, but I still feel like he should have hauled it in. He just, and I think this is the second time in three weeks where Josh Allen, not only did he not turn the ball over, but he didn't even throw like an interceptable ball. Not even a turnover-worthy throw from Josh Allen for the second time in three weeks. 91.1 overall grade from PFF. That's his second straight week of having the highest grade of anyone on the Bills offense. And currently, as things stand after four games, he has an 81.5 PFF overall grade, which is fifth best among quarterbacks in the NFL behind only Tua, Lawrence, Jerry Goff, or Jerry Goff, and Pat Mahomes, man. And when you take into account they've only played four games and one of those was an absolute four-turnover disaster for Josh Allen, I just don't know how you could bounce back any better. As a matter of fact, his last three games, he's completed 76.6% of his passes, 812 yards, 10 touchdowns, one interception. And in fairness to him, it wasn't even a real interception. It was a third down bomb that was essentially a punt in Washington. And he has a passer rating of 125.8. And the Bills, have, as a team, have averaged 41 points per game over these last three weeks. So you throw all those stats, all those numbers in, and what you have is a guy who has went from overrated, phony, fraudulent quarterback in the eyes of some critics in the national media to a guy who right now, as things stand, is probably, probably your front runner right now for MVP. And let's not talk MVP after four weeks, but that's what it is. In fact, I think he might even be the betting favorite right now to win NFL MVP. So you talk about a great bounce back from Josh Allen. Running backs, Latavius Murray, Damian Harris, they just continue to be really great pickups. Solid, solid, solid role players. Damian Harris on Sunday, 29 yards rushing. 24 of those came after contact. Three of his six carries went for a first down. That is literally what you're looking to get from Damian Harris. Literally. Latavius Murray, not known as a splash player. That's not what you would expect from him on this team and in this role. But he had two big plays on Sunday. One of them, a 29-yard run. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute specifically. And then he had a 22-yard reception as well. So big, big, big contributions from both Damian Harris and Latavius Murray. 
Uh, James Cook, for the most part, held in check, but he did score his first touchdown of the season, and he did have a 48-yard uh, scramble play reception on a great play from Josh Allen. So, you know, James Cook's doing his thing. 76.5 overall grade from PFF, which is graded eighth best so far this year among running backs. And one thing I did notice watching the film, and then I've looked it up on PFF to confirm, the Bills actually had success. So they've had, the, especially James Cook this year, most of his success has been running off the edge, specifically the left, left edge. Well, in this game, uh, the Bills' best success running the football was actually up the middle in the interior. They had 13 carries running up the middle for 63 yards, which is a 4.8 yards per carry and a rushing touchdown. So uh, a really, really great game from them. And I want to get to receivers before a quick break here. Stefan Diggs, you know, I tweeted about this on Sunday. And this is the truth. I hate that term, him. He is him. I quite literally, and honest to God, I have never once in my life ever, 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 ever used that term, him, until Sunday. And I tweeted that. I said, I've never used this term before, but you know what? Stefan Diggs is really him. He is, holy shit, did he have himself a game. Six catches, buck 20, three touchdowns, just absolutely cooking Miami defenders out there. Four games this year for Stefan. He's got 31 catches, which is fifth in the NFL, 399 yards, seventh in the NFL, and now he's already up to four touchdowns. His 39 targets this year is eighth in the NFL. And pace-wise, if you wanted to know where he's on pace for after four games, 132 catches, 1,696 yards, man. Whew. He had an 89.8 grade uh, per PFF in this game against Miami, which was second on the Bills' offense behind only Josh. And I also noticed on film, he's playing wide a lot more, like not as much slot. He's had a couple games recently where he's been in the slot more, motion into the slot. He only had five snaps uh, in the slot. So there's just not much else to say about Stefan Diggs, except I guess he really is him. He is just absolutely killing it. Gabe Davis is quietly, which is weird because he's a guy we spent so much time talking about in the offseason and last year. I feel like four games in, Gabe Davis is quietly having himself uh, a really good season. Three catches against Miami for 61 yards and a touchdown in the first of the game. 75.7 overall grade from PFF. This year, he's got 12 catches for 220 yards and three touchdowns so far this season. Already a debate right before I started taping this on Wednesday. I put those numbers up, and there's some fans who love it. There's some fans who are saying the numbers aren't good enough for a number two receiver. I'm starting to get sick of that term, number two wide receiver on this football team. The Bills, to me, have one number one receiver and then a bunch of alternative guys that can help carry the load when need be, and, and Gabe's certainly one of them. But anyway, the stat that impressed me the most about Gabe are actually two things. So far this season through four games, is he's a guy who's been known for dropping the football. He's only got one drop so far this year. And the most impressive thing that I've seen from Gabe so far this year is he's got 12 catches and 11 of those 12 have went for either a first down or a touchdown. So that is awesome to see. He's off to a very good start. Uh, Trent Shurfield, who hasn't done much early in the season, had a nice little roll on Sunday. He had two catches uh, for 18 yards. And then Deontay Hardy had two catches. And both of them mattered. I'm sure a lot of you will remember one of them was a low throw from Josh Allen on the run and, and Deontay had to go to the ground to get it, but he popped right back up. Didn't have the first, this was a third down play too. Didn't have the first out at the time, but he popped up and lunged and got the first down. 
And then on another one, he caught a, sh a short pass, made some money, missed, and he got past the first down marker. So both those catches that he had on Sunday were for first down. So that's what you want to see uh, from your wide receivers. Tight ends, you know, it's kind of been a theme this year. Not really much, not much to speak of. Although I will say, Dawson Knox, throw the stats, throw the, the catches, the yards, all that shit out of, throw it out. The one thing I loved, maybe more than anything in this game, was Dawson Knox right away. When he caught that pass, um, in the left flat, and he just absolutely trucked, trucked Javon Holland, one of the better safeties in the NFL. He ran his ass over. And when you watch it on film from different angles, it's like he ran him over, and instead of like trying to put his arm down and you know maybe stay on his feet and get a couple more yards, he actually ran him over and then bulldozed on top of him, gave himself up on the play just to run him over a little more ferociously. So I love seeing that from uh, Dawson Knox. His numbers are down over the first, uh, his last two years anyway. He's only got eight catches for 58 yards and a touchdown so far this season. But still, it's going to happen when you're playing, you know, two wide receiver sets and you got other pass catchers. I always suspected uh, that his numbers would go down. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, not really breaking out so far this year, but he's doing his job. Four catches for, for 27 yards. You kind of feel like, that big game's coming soon. Like that game where he's going to have six or seven catches for 85, 90 yards and a touchdown. You, you just, it feels to me like it's uh, like that's on the brink. But anyway, that's the tight ends. I'm going to take a real quick break, come back, and uh, plenty more to talk about in terms of grades and some stuff that we saw on film. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, I'm back and I'm talking about some of the film stuff and PFF grades from the Bills. Very convincing and, uh, you know, another yet another statement win over the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. I talked about it at the beginning of the show, man. Offensive line to me has been a huge, huge, huge key to the success of this team over the last three weeks. Uh, Deion Dawkins, to me, continues to he's playing at a Pro Bowl level. Hell, you know what? He might be approaching an all pro level of play to me right now. And I don't care what the grades say when it comes to PFF. Only a 69.2 passing grade, 60.8 against the run. I just, again, I don't get it. And I'm only going to criticize to a point because it's not fair to, to sit here and use PFF to, to your narrative. Like if you want to say that someone's playing great and you use PFF stats, then you don't get to turn around and say the stats suck when it doesn't fit the narrative that you're trying to say. So you got to take everything with a grain of salt. All I know is with my own eyes and from watching the film, there was one play on film I saw, he pushed Bradley Chubb 20 yards away from Josh Allen on one of Josh Allen's throws. Just great to see. Deion Dawkins is playing great. Connor McGovern, 87.1 pass blocking grade, which was the highest on this team. I feel like he's turned around a really shitty start to the season. Uh, 80.6 pass blocking grade for the season, which is fourth best of any guard in the entire NFL. So pass blocking wise, this guy's borderline elite run blocking, <laughs> still an issue, at least grade wise, 55.8 run grade, not good. But again, he's looked pretty good to me. Uh, Cyrus Torrance graded badly. 57 grade against with the pass, 40, only 45.7 with the run, 55.1 overall. Worst of all, the offensive linemen. And I, again, I don't give a shit. I don't. And I don't think most of you do either. Because when it comes to interior linemen, especially, the, the saying goes, if you're not hearing his name, if they're not showing replays involving him, he's probably doing his job. And I feel like Osiris Torrance, especially for me and a rookie, I think he's been. Fine. I think he's been more than fine. Uh, Mitch Morris, 83.4 pass blocking uh, grade. That's great. And one of the plays that we saw on film, Latavius Murray, I think it was in the second quarter, took a handoff. And the Bills interior between Morse, Drayton, or uh, Torrance, and McGovern, they opened up such a gaping hole for Murray that he just had to make one move on a Defensive back, which yeah, all the steam he had going was pretty easy to do that. Make a miss, and then bam, Murray takes off 29-yard gain. That play, you or I could have ran through that hole. And I'm not joking. Maybe we don't make the safety miss to go over 29, but eight yards untouched. That's how good the blocking was on that play. And other plays like that as well. So the offensive line to me has been a strength of this team. Can't really tell by looking at the PFF grades. But it's been up there, man. It's been up there. And um, where is it? I know I have a staff for pass blocking efficiency. Better eighth. Eighth in the NFL. So their pass blocking productivity, I should say, or efficiency. I was right the first time. Has been really good. Individually, the grades aren't good. But I don't care. 
defensive line. <laughs> this could be, and I ain't freaking joking here, man. This could easily be, and maybe tomorrow when I have Aaron Quinn on, this will be a Daquan Jones uh, appreciation episode. This dude has been unbelievable. Highest grade of anyone on the defense by a ton on Sunday. 91.2. Highest of anyone on the team, actually. He had a sack. He had a hit. Five hurries. Seven total pressures. Simply put, Daquan Jones, and he's kind of old, man, but he is having the best year of his career, PFF grade-wise, by far, so far into this season. 78.1 run grade for the season is seventh best in the NFL among all defensive tackles. He's right up there with Chris Jones and Quinn Williams right now, grade-wise. That's how good he's been. And his play matches the grades. No question about it. 89.9 pass rush grade this season. Fourth best in the NFL among all defensive tackles. I tell you, he is your defensive MVP on this football team right now over the first four games. And there's lots of them because the defense has been really good. But if you had to ask me right now, who's the, you know, the quarter marker this season, who's your Bills defensive MVP, I'm giving it to Quan Jones. I think he's been that good. Ed Oliver has also been really good. Six tackles for a loss this year. He only had nine all of last year. He's already got six through four games. Again, grade-wise, I looked. It's like I was expecting him to be up there in the high 70s, kind of maybe even closer to Quan. He only had a 52.4 grade. I'm like, well, that's stupid. How? In a sack, a hurry, two pressures, three stops. So I don't know. I just, again, I'm not going to be too critical of BFF and, and only use it for my own personal game of my narratives, but I don't get that shit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at my notes and I had to double look. I'm like, what? I just told you how the Bills offensive line earlier made Wilkins and Chubb look like irrelevant in this game. Somehow, some way, they both had higher grades for the game than Ed Oliver. That's fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry, but that is. Greg Rizzo. Two sacks, finally got the splash plays. He's been right there all year. He's had a couple tackles that were like maybe a half yard gains that could have been sacks, but he hadn't gotten a sack this year. He got two, so he finally got the splash plays to go along with his great all-around play. 73.7 overall grade. He's graded among the top 15 defensive ends so far in the NFL this year for PFF. So he's been great. Linebackers. Last week, I had Tone Bucks on after the Washington game. We were doing our, our weekly Sunday recap. And I remember saying, because we were just going up and down the line, this guy played great, this guy played great, this guy played great. Let's talk about the Bills' defense. And it was like Matt Milano didn't really do anything last week. It's not that he didn't, you know, that he played bad. He just didn't really do anything and didn't need to because the Bills just manhandled Sam Howell in that Washington offense. Well, Milano did plenty on Sunday. To me, this was one of those, like, all-pro games. This is why you look at Matt Milano and you – and, you, and he's an all-pro. This is why. Games like this. Tony Romo said it on the broadcast, too. Nine tackles, five stops, a forced fumble, just all around the football, taking plays away. And this is where, when you watch film and you see these things, him and Bernard, both these guys, they're taking away lanes. They're making Tua go to those second and third reads. These are things that don't necessarily show up in stats, even advanced stats. The way linebackers or defensive backs defend parts of the field and make you go somewhere else with the football. He just takes away so much, man. Matt Milano is so, so valuable to this football team. He really is. He played great. Terrell Bernard, I'm not going to go as far to say he played great, but he certainly held his own. 
Uh, he had a 78.6 run defense grade per PFF, which was not only the highest on the Bills, but it was also the highest of anyone on either team. So grade-wise, a, a great day for Bernard. He fell on that loose ball that Matt Milano knocked out, which, again, Terrell Bernard, unlike Jermaine Edmonds, and no disrespect to Jermaine, but Bernard just seems to have a, have a nose for the football and making these splashy impact plays. Something Tremaine didn't do, and something Jarrell Bernard, a month into the season, continues to do. He's had an impact play every week this season. Um, in terms of the DBs, Micah Hyde had another interception, so he's had one now in two straight games. 61.7 overall grade, solid 85.1 tackling grade per PFF. Uh, his 81.8 coverage grade so far this season is six among all safeties in the NFL. So, you know, the verdict's still out on Jordan Poyer, who didn't play on Sunday because of a, a sore knee. So I feel like that, you know, the book's still out on Jordan Poyer. But I think Micah Hyde came back from last year and missing most of the season and 100% answered the bell. Hopefully he can stay healthy because on the field, he looks as good to me now as he did last year early and two years ago and three years ago and so on. He's just been uh, fantastic. Christian Benford, 47.5 PFF grade, the lowest of anyone on the defense, 42.3 PFF coverage grade. He was targeted four times, gave up three catches for 58 yards, and all three of the catches were significant ones, 15, 20, 23 yards. And he has a, sh uh, a, a shoulder injury. He was day-to-day -day as of Monday. Hopefully he won't miss any time, especially after what happened to uh, Trey White, which we're not going to talk about on today's show. We've already talked about it. I'm sure I'll talk more about it with Aaron tomorrow during our Bills Jaguars uh, preview episode. But anyway, not a great game for Christian Benford. He has been, if there even is any kind of weak link on the defense this year, I feel like it could potentially be Christian Benford. We talked about it a little bit last week, in fact, a couple times, where he got beat for a 36-yard play on by uh, Samuel against Washington, got smoked against the Raiders the week before, but got away with what should have been a penalty. Um, potentially he could be the liability in the secondary right now, but so far so good. He's not killing him. Nobody's killing him on the defense. He's, you know, he's not killing his, his team. Um, still got a left, left to prove though. And he's going to have to step up simply put because he's, I mean, he already was a starter, but now he's really going to be the starter with uh Trey gone. Dane Jackson came in 63.4 grade. He was fine. Four targets, four catches, 26 yards. Um, some nice physicality. It is you. You know who Dane Jackson is at this point. You you know what he is. He's going to give up plays. He's he's going to give up catches. You just uh, you know you 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 got to hope that he doesn't um you know that 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 he doesn't kill you in any given week. But I'm reasonably confident with Dane Jackson in part because of the experience that he has and he knows he has to step up. Probably going to see it again. This is stuff more for tomorrow's show, but you're going to see Kyrie Lilo. He's going to be dressed, which is something he hasn't done this year. Uh, and then, like I said, Jordan Boyer didn't play Taylor Rapp. He was fine. 60.0 overall grade. Adequate level replacement. Didn't really hurt the team. Could have had an interception. He badly timed a, a jump, which ended up being a long downfield completion. But besides that, that one little minor mistake, that one little minor blemish, uh, he was fine. All right, so anyway, wrapping up here, Jacksonville's coming up, 
And I will have Aaron Quinn from Cover One on the show for tomorrow, and we're going to deep dive into this game significantly more. But just as a quick look at what the Bills will be looking at on Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m. start in London. The Jets this year are 2-2. Two and two. They've been in two pretty mediocre teams, I think, despite their records, Indianapolis and uh, Atlanta. They went to Kansas City, played them tough, but lost. But the one thing I still can't get past is them getting smacked by Houston at home. Houston smacked the shit out of them a couple weeks ago. So anyway, you know they're not world beaters. And I'll tell you, and again, we'll elaborate more on this tomorrow's show, but normally when the Bills would come out and they would play Miami and beat Miami like this, then you got to go overseas to London where Jacksonville's already been there for a full week. This has like let down written all over it, doesn't it? And normally I would feel that way. However, I feel because the way the Bills are playing football right now and the way they look in the trenches, I feel better about this team. And when you're good physically up front, that helps guard against things like letdown because Josh might not have his A game. But if you're dominating defensively on the line or if your offense is blocking well enough, that you could just check the ball down, you can run it effectively, you can still win these kind of games. So I'm really, I'm feeling great about the Bills in the trenches. And that's giving me a lot more confidence about the team. So I'm not worried too much about a letdown. Tell you what I am worried about, Josh Allen. And I'm not talking about number 17, the Bills front runner for MVP right now. I'm talking about Jacksonville's number 41. We saw two years ago what he did against the Bills. And he's on fire this season so far. He's already got six sacks. 15 pressures to go with those six sacks. Six more quarterback hits. He's got the seventh highest overall grade of any defensive edge in the NFL per PFF, 89.8 overall grade. So that dude is great. Uh, Trayvon, Trayvon Walker, he's got two sacks this year, former number one number one overall pick just two years ago. Um, Andre Sisco, he's a really good safety, 88.8 overall grade. In fact, he's third best among all safeties per PFF in the NFL in terms of grades. So the, de- the defense, well, I don't think it's a great unit as a whole, but they certainly got two or three different make difference makers on that unit. And then, of course, offensively, we all know about their skill position players. Trevor Lawrence is having a good season, uh, 60.67.1 completion percentage, four touchdowns, two picks. He can also run the football, been sacked just eight times in four games. So the line's doing a pretty good job of protecting him. And then they just got weapons, man. They got weapons galore. Calvin Ridley. Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, uh, Travis Etienne, and of course a guy, if assuming he played because he was out hurt last week, but Bills fans are very familiar with him, Zay Jones, who's done a good job of turning his career around. Offensive line, middle of the pack, 13th in pass block efficiency. And by the way, I, I was wrong earlier. If I was, I can't remember, but I remember after seeing that with Jacksonville. The Bills are eighth in the NFL in pass block efficiency per PFF. Jacksonville is uh, 13th. But anyway, like I said, we're going to talk about Buffalo versus Jacksonville much more on tomorrow's show with my buddy Aaron Quinn from Cover One. That is going to do it for this show. Um, You could go on my Twitter, by the way, at Patrick Moran TV. I put up some clips from this game, some film clips with some explanations of, of thoughts and things that I saw from watching the film. So I do have a handful of them. If you want to go and look at some of those clips and some of the information, you know, I really don't like, because 
I love the doing the video now, but you know, still primarily our audience on this show is audio. So I didn't want to like put up a bunch of clips on video and have to kind of break them down and just probably you lose a lot of that audio audience uh, when you do that. But anyway, they are available. So go check them out on Twitter. And of course, go listen to other Bill's content shows that are really good. Like I said, like Joe Marino at Locked on Bills, like Eric Turner and, and some of the guys over at Cover One, some of the Buffalo Rumley stuff. There's a lot of good content going on with the Buffalo Bills right now. And I'm not even talking about the mainstream media podcasters, you know, re- Bills beat reporters who have their own shows. They got their own unique spin on stuff too. So plenty of great Bills content to go around. Uh, I, I suggest that you go check it out. And I also suggest that you check out this show tomorrow because I will have Aaron Quinn from Cover One talking Bills, Jaguars, and also our top five overrated TV shows of all time. So stay tuned for that. Talk to you tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.